the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. Hi, this is Kenny from California, and you're listening to the Trex and Sci-Fi Podcast. Culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Hello, everyone. This is Rico, and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi, show number 155 for December the 30th, 2007. It's almost the end of the year. It's almost 2008. Hey, we're going to have a, uh, a fun show for you today. I think the big topic is going to be Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Yes, finally going to take a look at the last of the Star Wars prequel movies. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to cover uh, quite a bit of the movie and some background information. Got a few listeners that have sent in audio, so I think we're going to give uh, that episode of the Star Wars saga a good look. Uh, we also have some usual news and other information and other music segment and, and lots of good stuff. So uh, stand by. Here we go. I am going to start with uh, one of the TV spots from Revenge of the Sith this week. I thought that would be kind of fun to uh, start off the show. So here we go. This is where the fun begins. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. Always on the move. Soon I will what have I done? He has become a very great threat. You were the chosen one! No! Rated PG-13. Well, again, welcome to the show, everyone. This is Rico, and you are listening to the Sci-Fi and Trek and Star Wars and other geeky stuff podcast. Again, show 155. I hope everyone has been enjoying the holidays and some time off. Uh, hopefully, if you've gotten a little extra time off like I have, uh, that's always enjoyable. I've been catching up some on that. <laughs> Here we go. You know, it's always a little tricky when you first start out these podcasts. Uh, that's the trickiest part, you know, getting rolling into it. Once I'm gabbing away, it goes pretty well. So I'll try not to stumble too much as we go on later. You'd think I'd learn by now. But anyway, I've... Uh, been doing some things around my house, trying to get a little organized, throwing out some old junk. I also have been catching up on some movies. I went out to see a couple of films in the last few days. Thought I'd mention those real briefly before we get into some of the other topics. The first one that I saw a few days ago is the new Nicolas Cage uh, next National Treasure film, uh, Book of Secrets. Now, if you saw the first of these national treasure which i don't think that one had a subtitle i don't think i think it was just national treasure you'll know the basic idea these are kind of indiana jones light i call them they're usually set uh in the u.s about some historical uh, uh kind of mystery or or you know kind of a uh, treasure hunt in the united states and sometimes outside the country a little bit and that's what this one is about book of secrets is also that and there's usually some bad guys and chasing him around while he's trying to discover uh, some hidden treasure or something like that. Uh, I find these a lot of fun. You know, some people I know aren't really a big fan of them. Uh, Nicholas Cage is kind of one of those actors people seem to either love or hate a little bit. I, I kind of always enjoy him. He always seems kind of, he seems to be more of a natural, you know, kind of having fun in the movies rather than a real stiff actor. He looks like the kind of guy you could go out and like have a beer with or something like that. Uh, plus, the guy who names his his son Kal El after, uh, you know, Superman. Uh, well, he's kind of. Uh, I don't think I would do that, but that you got to hand it to him. He's uh, he does what he wants to do anyway. Uh, but more about the movie. Uh, and as all the uh, people that were in the first movie are back, the main characters from there. 
this movie actually gets rolling, I think, a little quicker because they don't have to spend a lot of time on background and things for it. So go see it. If you enjoyed the first one especially, I think you'll definitely enjoy Book of Secrets. The other film that I went to see just yesterday was the the holiday treat for this year. You know, it came out on Christmas, Alien vs. Predator R or Alien vs. Predator Requiem. There's no real two in the title. I guess that, you know, would get confusing since there had been a lot more than two Alien or Predators. Although, yeah, there were two, I think, regular Predator movies and then, what, five or something Aliens or whatever it got to uh, at the end there. Anyway, Alien vs. Predator, this one is set on Earth. The A ship crashes with aliens and predators and things like that aboard. Uh, and then, of course, chaos ensues in this small town. They're always, it's always in a small town, you know, although, um, you know, the I Am Legend movie was set around in New York. But, uh, of course, most of the population was gone in that movie. But this one is set in a small town. This uh, ship crashes and craziness starts. This is a, a definitely a not-for-the-weak-stomach kind of movie. Lots of killing going on. It's rated R. Uh, it is, uh, there's a lot of action uh, if you enjoy that, and it's kind of I call it kind of a roller coaster ride at the movies. If you like the Alien and Predator movies, this one's fun. I think, the, I think they kind of tweaked it and made it better than the first of the Alien versus Predator films. You know, what this concept first started in is actually comics. They had these separate Alien movies, and then they did the separate Predator movies. And the Dark Horse comic uh, publisher had done a few books uh, basically matching those two uh, nasty species up, Alien versus Predator. And 20th Century Fox, you know, kind of smacked their forehead and said, you know what, man, we could make a movie based on that too, you know, bringing those two franchises together. And that's what they did now two times. And and this one is, again, just, you know, leave your brain at the door a little bit, but for action and uh, crazy things going on, I, it doesn't disappoint. So uh, I'm enjoying these holiday movies. Uh, I saw The Golden Compass, enjoyed that, I Am Legend, and then these other ones. So I've been trying to keep up. I think that pretty much covers the kind of what I call the, the sci-fi fantasy genre films for the year, or at least um, until 2008 uh, when we'll get a... Uh, quite a few good movies early in the year uh, in that kind of realm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. Cloverfield, of course, probably the big one in January. And uh, there's also this Dungeon Siege movie in the name of the king by uh, that crazy director, Uwe Boll, uh, the German director who did uh, you know such classics as Blood Rain. So I'll probably see it anyway. It looks kind of fun. I don't have a lot of news to, to report. It's a little quiet on the news front right now. Some of the studios are announcing their 2008 movies. Most of these we know about. Uh, plus, I've got a lot of other things to cover with Revenge of the Sith and a collectible later on, along with some listener calls, which will take some time. So I'm not going to cover too much. One thing I did want to mention, of course, the, the movie, Star Trek movie, continues to film. Uh, there's little tidbits of information that are popping out. Not... Not anything major. I'm trying to avoid that. And the teaser trailer for the film is confirmed to be uh, along with the Cloverfield movie, so that'll be exciting. The uh, other thing, though, I wanted to mention on the Trek front is IDW that has been doing been doing the Star Trek comics has announced some new titles for 2008. They're continuing the Year 4 series. They're also going to do a, a New Frontier series, which is sort of based around those New Frontier novels that have been published. They're also going to do a comic series set in the mirror universe of Star Trek and some uh, Gary Seven comics 
So uh, we've got a lot, uh, a lot of Star Trek comics coming out from IDW, and for the most part, these have been good and getting progressively better. I just read the uh, the one about the Orions uh, last week or so, and that one I thought was good as well. They've been doing that Alien Spotlight series in the comic uh, realm, so uh, definitely check it out. And they they picked up uh, some good writers. Peter David in DC Fontana, uh, John Byrne. So they've got some good uh, writers working on these comics, so I think they should put out some good stories. So check that out if you're a a Trek and comic fan. Okay, I'm going to take a a little break from me gabbing, and I'm going to turn this over to Vartok. He's got another music segment for us today. This one is on Dennis McCarthy, who did a lot of the TNG music. So take it away, Vartok. Hello everyone, this is Vartok again with another music and sci-fi segment. For today's segment, if you recognize Archer's theme from Enterprise, you know I'm going to talk about Dennis McCarthy, the composer, conductor, and arranger. Now Dennis McCarthy was born in 1944 and started composing at age 30 in 1974. Dennis has spent his life in and around music. He grew up in North Hollywood, California, playing the violin and piano. He studied engineering and physics at Northridge and UCLA, while supporting himself by playing weddings and frat parties on the weekends. Eventually, Dennis began a new career as a keyboardist in the studios. One of the musicians he met in those years was Glenn Campbell, when he was a session guitarist. Well, when Glenn became a star and recorded Gentle on My Mind, and by the time I get to Phoenix, he asked Dennis to join him as a keyboardist. As Glenn's fame grew, he needed an on-the-road arranger conductor, and McCarthy took on the challenge. The association with Glenn Campbell, who was at the peak of his popularity in the late 60s as a crossover singer hitting it big on both country and pop charts, led to McCarthy's first television work acting as the musical director on the long-running Glen Campbell Good Time Hour variety show. Dennis also served as musical director for three seasons of the Barbara Mandrell Show. Dennis is a member of the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, or ASCAP. His credits for TV series include the main title theme and other music for Star Trek Deep Space Nine, as well as music for Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Enterprise, the 1985 revival of The Twilight Zone, the MacGyver series, Sliders, and Dawson's Creek. His movie credits include Night of the Demon, Off the Wall, the 97 remake of McHale's Navy, and Star Trek Generations. McCarthy has won 18 ASCAP awards and two Emmys, one for his theme on Deep Space Nine and the other for the background score on Star Trek The New Generation Unification episode. And now, for the poser for later in this podcast. What makes Dennis McCarthy special in connection with Star Trek music? Stay tuned, and I'll be back with the answer later in this podcast. 
Well, thanks very much for our talk and listen for his answer segment uh, later on in the podcast. Okay, a couple other things uh, Star Trek related I wanted to mention before I forgot. Uh, the first audio drama from uh, Sebastian Pruth and Andy Tyrer, who we've talked to, who are doing that new series, audio Star Trek series called The Continuing Mission, uh, they released the first one, Ghost Ship, on Christmas Day, just uh, you know earlier this past week. Or last week, I guess it is now, since today is Sunday, yes. Anyway, I listened to it. Uh, they did a great job with this. It's uh, it's real uh, a tight story. It's not overly long. The music and effects uh, and whole audio package that they put together is great. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to it. The acting is, is good. So uh, I definitely encourage you, if you're a Trek fan, to go check this out over at continuingmission.com. The other thing that I wanted to mention is the first part uh, of Tim Russ's Star Trek sort of fan-slash-pro-film is out. Uh, that is the Star Trek of Gods and Men. That's out now on the Internet. Go to StarTrekOfGodsAndMen.com and download or just watch the first part. I think you can do both. I think you can stream and download it. Anyway, this uh, features the, a lot of uh, actors from various sci-fi uh, different productions a lot of star trek actors of course and they did a great job with it it's it's a good start uh, there's a lot of things that you don't know about that are going on right yet uh, but i think uh, it's very enjoyable and i think everyone will get a kick out of it uh, i i think it could have been just a little bit more polished but i think they finally wanted to get some of it out there for the public to view uh, but anyway jeff you know both of these productions for trek fans are a big treat and they're free so you can't beat that so go check it out over at uh, star trek of gods and men and continue continue <laughs> uh get i'll get all this out continuing mission.com okay i have uh i think it's yeah three separate uh, listener calls about revenge of the sith and i was trying to figure out I tend to put these more at the end of my reviews after I kind of go through whatever I'm talking about, an episode or a movie or whatever. But with three of them, and, and they're each, uh, you know, some are like one's a couple minutes, the other couple are four minutes. That's a lot to throw on at the end. So I'm going to spread these out a little bit as I go through Revenge of the Sith today. I'm going to play this first first one right now. This is from Wraith on the forums, Wraith1701, I think is his username on the Treks in Sci-Fi forums over at treksinsci-fi.com. Here are his comments about uh, Revenge of the Sith, and then I will be back and get into talking about the, uh, I almost said episode, talk about the movie. So here here we go with Wraith. Hey, what's up, Treks in Sci-Fi? This is Eric, also known as Wraith1701, here to give you my thoughts on Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. You know, a lot of people put down the prequel movies, and I have to admit, I was one of them. Things like Jar Jar Binks, the clumsy dialogue, and well, Jar Jar Binks can be a little hard to take. When I first heard that the prequels were being made, my imagination ran wild. I came up with all kinds of scenarios, and in every case, I'd find myself imagining something like the films I loved as a kid, only told in a more complex and mature way. Now, as much as I love the prequels, a part of me was actually a little disappointed that the films didn't grow up with me. They came off as seeming almost a little childish. Looking back, however, I have to hand it to George Lucas. He stayed true to his original vision. The first films were made to be enjoyed by everyone, were primarily aimed at kids, and the prequels followed the same formula, a fact that a lot of the prequel haters failed to realize. Lucas shouldn't be criticized for the style of his films. Instead, he should be commended. 
he manages to recreate the style of the first films despite an almost 30 year hiatus. These new films fit seamlessly with the original trilogy, which wouldn't be the case if he had tried to cater to the changing sensibilities of all of us old school Star Wars fans. Now I love all the prequels, but 1 and 2 paled in comparison to episode 3. In my mind, the first two were just backstory and filler. 3 was the big payoff. In fact, for me, this is the second most important film in the series. The only film that surpasses it in impact was the original Star Wars. Revenge of the Sith was an outstanding film on several different layers, and watching it for the first time was a very bittersweet experience. It marked the end of a film series that has been a large part of my life for the last 30 years, and as corny as it sounds, watching it felt almost like I was saying goodbye to an old friend. But as sad as the experience was, it was great to finally see the answers to the questions that have been kicking around in the back of my head for the last 30 years. Finally, we get to see exactly how the Old Republic fell, and at last we get to see exactly how Anakin fell to the dark side. Now, there are three scenes that are firmly etched into my mind. The first is the confrontation between Anakin, the Jedi, and Palpatine in his office. Mace has Palpatine down and is about to take him out. Now, up until this point, it seems that Anakin is more or less aware of the trap that he's heading into, but he seems to think that he can avoid it at the last minute. It isn't until after he makes his final fatal mistake that he realizes how completely he has been manipulated by Palpatine, and the anguish and guilt on his face is actually kind of heart-wrenching. The other scene that sticks with me is the final duel between Anakin and Obi-Wan. It was very sad to see such a close friendship ended by Anakin's anger and greed. And this scene is made even more effective by John Williams' score. The Anakin versus Obi-Wan theme with its cues taken from the Imperial March brought to mind the original trilogy. Now this scene sheds a whole new light on the verbal exchange between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in their duel on the first Death Star. The last scene that really sticks with me is the montage at the end of the film. Watching a newly minted Darth Vader and a young Moff Tarkin witnessing the construction of the first Death Star sent chills up my spine. And seeing Baby Luke delivered to young Owen and Baru was just the icing on the cake. As you guys all know, I'm sure, this scene mirrored the scene in Star Wars where we first see Luke standing in a sunset, looking wistfully to the horizon, and dreaming of adventure. All in all, I'd say this was a perfect film, a perfect ending to a monumental film series. Well, that's all I've got. Thanks a lot, Rico. Live long and prosper, and may the force be with you. Bye-bye. Well, thanks very much, Wraith, for that uh, great submission. Great job on that. Uh, covered a lot of good stuff, some things I'm probably going to be repeating during my uh, discussion about Revenge of the Sith. So, again, great job. Thanks very much for that submission. Okay, let's get into uh, my discussion of Revenge of the Sith, Episode 3 in the Star Wars saga and the last film to be released, uh, movie film in the Star Wars series. This came out in uh, May of 2005, May 19th, 2005. I, I distinctly remember I, I took the day off work, and which I have done for yeah, just about, well, any of the, the big movies that come out like this that have been released when I've been working 
uh, at least uh, back in the days when I was in school, you know, would be like, ah, got to go to the movies. But anyway, that's a different story. For this one, took the day off, went to see uh, an early showing of it on the opening day. I never have really done the midnight showings that they do. I, I prefer to be a little bit more awake and, and alert and fresh than than see it in the chaos of going to, to see this for the first time with the midnight crowd. So I've always gone early in the day on opening day to see these. And uh, uh, echoing Wraith's segment, or Wraith's uh, comments in his segment, uh, along with probably a lot of other people out there, yeah, I felt that this movie, and just as an overall comment, is definitely far and above any of the other prequels and is definitely up there in the ranks of the best of the Star Wars films. So there, that's out there at least. Uh, you know, my take now in general is... You know, Revenge of the Sith is, uh, well, I'm going to probably, as I go through some different clips and scenes that I'll talk about, you know, there are some things I might have done different if it was me, or that maybe I would have preferred different. Uh, Overall, there is very little that I can say that would, uh, you know, change what I would uh, think Lucas did here. You know, I think he did a great job with this movie. I think part of that, you know, when I'm thinking about it now, is that I think he sort of got back into the swing of Star Wars throughout the prequel series. You know, each one improved Uh, you know the first one was a little rough around the edges and the second one attack of the clones i think even got a little better and a little tighter and this one it all kind of came together in revenge of the sith so i think that's part of it you know he'd been away from star wars for a long time and i think some of that uh getting back into it and of course this one obviously through just the 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 plot uh, you know what he had to cover in this movie really lends itself to uh, to making a great movie. I mean, how can you go wrong when you have the fall of the Republic, the, the Empire taking over, and then the whole story, which I'm going to primarily focus on is Anakin and his downfall and his turning to the dark side and all that that, uh, you know, all that impact that that had on the, the saga and, all, and Star Wars in general. I mean, he's always, uh, Lucas has always said that, the, you know, the Star Wars saga is all about Anakin Skywalker and his fall from grace and then his son taking over later on and really pulling him back from uh, the dark side at the end of return of the Jedi. You know, that this is all about Anakin. Really this, this whole story revolves around him, his fall and ultimate uh, redemption at the end of the series. So this, this movie is, is really does a great job with that. And I think he does some good things here. He's always also said that Anakin is really not a bad person. There are just certain things that happen to him that push him to certain you know, decisions that may not be the best. It's like you see, uh, he said, it's like you see someone you care about, but they, they're doing things that are bad and destructive, but you can't really stop them. You know, they're, they're going to do it anyway, and no matter what you tell them, they, they almost realize it themselves, but they can't help themselves. And Anakin is, is a tragic character in this movie. He really does things that, you know, he has sort of good intentions, but, you know, it's the, it's, it's how he works those out that, uh, you know, he has to realize there's some things you just have to let happen. You know, his his idea that he's trying to save Padme in this movie is is part of that. But we'll get into that as we go through it. So so I did see this opening day. saw it actually a couple of times on opening day when it first came out. saw it later that evening with my kids. We went to see it, and uh, it was uh, a lot of fun when I first saw it. And like Wraith said, it, it is a little bittersweet that this is the last of the Star Wars movies. I'm still not completely giving up on that, though. I could see Lucas or someone in his family or a close uh, friend that he trusts. Uh, Rick McCallum is is younger than he is, you know, or somebody taking this over at some point. 
perhaps not even relating to the Skywalkers, created a whole new Star Wars series of films set, you know, into the future in their, you know, later on. I mean, there's lots of things that could be done. It's really got a huge expanded universe and books. So I'm not giving up hope that we will never see another Star Wars movie. Okay, let's get into some of the clips because I got about 10 of them and I want to get through these uh, as we go and discuss it. Uh, first one, early in the movie, this uh, this takes place as they board the, the ship with the uh, the Chancellor aboard, Palpatine's aboard, and they're trying to rescue him, Anakin and Obi-Wan. So listen to this. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. The Chancellor's signal is coming from right there. The observation platform at the top of that spire. I sense Count Dooku. I sense a trap. Next move? Spring the trap. R2, go back. I need you to stay with the ship. Yeah, take this and wait for orders. This, uh, you know, you really get a good sense at the beginning of this movie and throughout the early part of it of the the close friendship between Obi-Wan and Anakin that's formed uh, the Master and his apprentice. Uh, They've really formed a tight bond, much like uh, Obi-Wan had with Qui-Gon as he was being trained as a Jedi. So, you know, that really sets up a lot of what goes on later and and makes it even more tragic when when he and, and... when Anakin and Obi-Wan are at odds and, and on opposite sides, it's uh, it's really sad when that happens because of what we see here in their friendship that they have. And they've been fighting for a long time. This is supposed to be approximately like three years or so after um, Attack of the Clones. So there's been a lot of uh, bonding and fighting together side to side and back to back throughout uh, the Clone Wars. And that's really brought them together as friends and comrades, and, and they really care about each other. And that really shows throughout the early part. And Ewan McGregor, I think, especially is very comfortable in the in the part here. He's very, he, he has a few lines in it. He kind of jokes here and there and, and a little bit playful at times. And I think that's good. He really, uh, that suits his character well. Uh, and it suits, I think, his personality in general. And that works for the movie quite a bit. Uh, I, I really wish he had had that looseness a little bit more early in this in the prequels, but I think that's important. I, I think, you know, he's more of a, an older, more wise Obi-Wan here. And I think that shows in his personality. So really good stuff. Um, the next clip of course, is we've got to have another fight between Dooku, Obi-Wan and Anakin to make up for uh, what happened towards the end of it, attack of the clones. And that happens early in the movie. They're trying to rescue the chancellor, which of course that's a big setup. You realize you know, the Chancellor was, this has been a setup here. He really wanted to get rid of, I think, Obi-Wan throughout this confrontation early in the movie. And uh, and he's trying to also push Anakin over the edge a little bit more. And he's starting to plant those seeds here in this, in this early scene uh, with Dooku and Anakin fighting. So listen to this clip. Since great fear you, Skywalker. You have hate. You 
have anger, but you don't use them. Kill him. Kill him now. I shouldn't. Do it. He was too dangerous to be kept alive. Yes, but he was an unarmed prisoner. I shouldn't have done that. It's not the Jedi way. It is only natural. He cut off your arm, and you wanted revenge. It wasn't the first time, Anakin. Remember what you told me about your mother and the Sand people? Yeah, this uh, this really illustrates how, how very good Ian McDermott is in this movie, and... How uh, Palpatine is the ultimate manipulator. I mean, he's pushing Anakin at every turn. He's manipulating him. He's using him. And he has Anakin basically off his his old apprentice, Dooku, and uh, for a new young apprentice, which will soon become, uh, or Anakin will be and, and become Darth Vader. That is his goal. He wants to get rid of uh, the old guy and get in the young, uh, powerful, uh, you know, Sith uh, or or former Jedi, but becomes a Sith later. So, you know, he's he's really excellent in this film. Uh, Ian McDermott does a great job uh, in the role of Palpatine and then later on as the Dark Lord of the Sith, Sidious. So this is a, a good, good movie for him, really powerful performance, and I was really impressed uh, when I first saw him in that. It's, uh, he almost sort of steals the show. He's a great actor, and he does a great job with this part. Okay, let's go over to now the other, more lighter side of things and talk a little bit about the Padme and Anakin relationship. I've got a clip here to play of that in a second where where Padme has some good, uh, interesting news for Anakin as he comes back uh, to see her for the first time in a long time from uh, being out in the Outer Rim fighting clones with uh, Obi-Wan. This, uh, you know, this uh, situation, well, actually, sorry, not fighting clones, fighting with the clones, excuse me, fighting the uh, droid armies and things like that, so... Uh, people always have said, you know, that, that the whole Padme and Anakin relationship and some of the dialogue, especially probably in Attack of the Clones, and even in Revenge of the Sith is kind of cornball and, and, and seems a little stilted and not quite right. I don't know. I, I like it. I don't think it's that bad at all. It doesn't bother me that much. Uh, I think sometimes that's from some jaded, cynical people, maybe people that have been dumped a few times in their lives. I don't know. I'm not going to say that uh, exactly, but it, it's, it's... This is supposed to be a space saga fantasy. I mean, it's supposed to be a little corny. I think that's an almost intentional thing on George Lucas's part. He's never really said that that I could recall hearing in any interviews or anything. But I think he, he's trying to make this a little larger than life. He's not trying to say, hey, baby, uh, nice to see you again. You know, they're not going to talk like people talk here uh, it's going to sound a little strange. I think that all, again, is intentional on his part. And I, I think it's just fine myself. And I think in this movie they they really um, are able to show that they care about each other. And, of course, 
Anakin is very disturbed by these dreams he starts to have where or have uh, excuse me where he sees Padme dying in childbirth. So anyway, let's play this next clip for you. Oh, Anakin. I've missed you, Padme. There were whispers that you've been killed. I'm all right. Feels like we've been apart for a lifetime. And it might have been if the Chancellor hadn't been kidnapped. I don't think they would have ever brought us back from the Outer Rim sieges. Wait, not here. Yes, here. I'm tired of all this deception. I don't care if they know we're married. Anakin, don't say things like that. Are you all right? You're trembling. What's going on? Something wonderful has happened. Annie, I'm pregnant. That's what that's wonderful. What are we gonna do? We're not gonna worry about anything right now. All right. This is a happy moment. The happiest moment of my life. It's a good scene. There's a lot. Uh, one one little thing I'll say here about this movie that that probably just uh, and it's true probably about all the Star Wars films is there's just a lot that happens in this one's uh, two hours and like twenty minutes, hundred and forty minutes total length, uh, counting all the credits and everything. But you know, there's just a lot packed in here. I mean, first at the beginning of the movie here, Padme is saying Anakin, I'm pregnant. By the end of the movie, she's having the kids. You know, she, um, you know. Uh, it's it's a lot to happen in one movie and and i always said i'd been like wraith i think had said uh, even during before the prequels had come out but definitely between uh, attack of the clones and revenge of the sith i tried to think for a long time how were they going to put all this into the movie and i just i thought for sure that george lucas in this film would have had to say at some point you know have part of the movie and then say okay now one year later or, or six months later you would have to play some little card or, or thing like that to advance the plot you know rather than have it all all happen in one movie i thought for sure that was going to have to take place but he doesn't do that and it works there's some points in the movie where time seems to uh, a lot of more time elapses than you know there's a quick cut in scenes and like gosh did a week go by did a month go by what happened there because things would you know you'd watch up uh, you know padme get a lot more pregnant looking as uh, a short span of time seemed to go by. So anyway, not a not a big deal. It's a movie, and you gotta have to sort of let that go a little bit. But uh, it's uh, it's still well done, and I think the relationship between the two characters, Anakin and Padme, is again a kind of a classic tragedy situation. They're they're in love, but they can never really be together because he's a Jedi and all that, and that makes it sort of tragic all to begin with. And uh, then of course his whole dreams about her dying and what happened to his mother it's it's really not too surprising that that kind of drives him over the edge and is i think a big part of his downfall he's so afraid to lose anyone else since he lost his mother that he'll do anything basically to prevent that and and that is a key point to the movie uh the next scene there's a more manipulation by uh 
Palpatine that's going on. And one of those things that he tries to do or that he does is put uh, Anakin on the Jedi Council. Now, typically, the the Jedi, they pick their own council members, and they basically do it, you know, when they become master, when they're Jedi masters and not just Jedi, they get a seat on the council. And Anakin is, of course, appointed to the council, but in this next clip I'll play for you, he is not granted the uh, title of master, and that doesn't make him too happy. So, <laughs> listen to this clip. How this appointment lightly, the council does not... Disturbing is this move by Chancellor Palpatine. I understand. You are on this council, but we do not grant you the rank of master. What? How can you do this? This is outrageous. It's unfair. How can you be on the council and not be a master? Take a seat, young Skywalker. Forgive me, Master. We have surveyed all systems in the Republic, but have found no sign of General Grievous. Hiding in the Outer Rim, Grievous is. The outlying systems you must sweep. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, Yoda there is all CGI again, just like he was in Attack of the Clones. And they do a good job with that. Uh, it's uh, it's a little sad you don't get to see the good old puppet Yoda anymore. But they had problems, I know, in Phantom Menace. They weren't too happy with that. And uh, so they're using a CGI Yoda here in this film. So, so again, Anakin is not too happy about not being granted the title of Master to in once he's on the council. And, you know, he's a little power hungry. And I've never really... For a kid that grew up on like as a slave and on Tatooine and didn't have a lot, I'm kind of that that part of this movie and, and the saga in general. I can understand him trying to save Padme and his concern about that, but his his seeming struggle or grab for power and to rule the galaxy and everything, I've never really quite seen where that came from. I don't know. Maybe he was unhappy about being a slave. Maybe he wanted he'd to go back and stop that situation so he thought maybe if he was in power he could do that and, and control things of the galaxy a lot more that's a little tricky i thought uh, i i never really caught on to why he wanted some of those kinds of aspects uh, or control uh, of the empire or, or whatever but anyway that's uh kind of a side thing i guess okay the next clip i want to play for you this is in this little uh opera house or some weird uh, e- event thing that they're watching uh uh, Palpatine and Anakin uh, meets him there, and this is a very important scene where Palpatine sets Anakin up. Kind of, he teased, t- tells him to, uh, <laughs> excuse me, he uh, relates the the story of Darth Plagueis. You know, these these Darth names they come up with in these movies are are something I think. And anyway, Darth Plagueis, and he tells him the whole story of how this guy could basically cheat and stop death. So listen to this clip. Did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? No. I thought not. It's not a story the Jedi would tell you. It's a Sith legend. Darth Plagueis was a dark lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise. He could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create life. 
He had such a knowledge of the dark side, he could even keep the ones he cared about from dying. He could actually save people from death. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. What happened to him? He became so powerful. The only thing he was afraid of was losing his power, which eventually, of course, he did. Unfortunately, he taught his apprentice everything he knew. Then his apprentice killed him in his sleep. It's ironic. He could save others from death, but not himself. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. Yeah, so, you know, again, Palpatine, Palpatine, Palpatine is manipulating Anakin and pushing him and planting these seeds of doubt and, you know, trying to feed him information that he thinks he'll uh, bite on, basically baiting him. And it, it works, ultimately. The, um, the next clip, the next clip is, uh, this is a, a scene not too far uh, more ahead in the movie. This is also between Palpatine and, and Anakin. This is outside his office, and this is when basically Anakin discovers and realizes he's the Dark Lord of the Sith that they've been searching for because uh, Palpatine reveals it, in, in essence. So listen to this. How do you know the ways of the Force? My mentor taught me everything about the Force, even the nature of the dark side. You know the dark side? Anakin, if one is to understand the great mystery, one must study all its aspects, not just the dogmatic narrow view of the Jedi. If you wish to become a complete and wise leader, you must embrace a larger view of the Force. Be careful, the Jedi, Anakin. Only through me can you achieve a power greater than any Jedi. Learn to know the dark side of the Force, and you will be able to save your wife from certain death. What did you say? Use my knowledge, I beg you. You're the Sith Lord. I know what's been troubling you. Listen to me. Don't continue to be a pawn of the Jedi Council. Ever since I've known you, you've been searching for a life greater than that of an ordinary Jedi. A life of significance, of conscience. Are you going to kill me? I would certainly like to. turn you over to the Jedi Council. Of course, you should. But you're not sure of their intentions, are you? 
I will quickly discover the truth of all this. So again, you can see he, uh, you know, Anakin has good intentions. He's trying to do the right thing here. But again, circumstances uh, sort of spin out of control and, and stop that. Uh, the next clip that I've got to play, this is a rather long one, but I think it's a, this is probably one of the biggest and most key scenes. This is something Wraith mentioned in his little commentary at the beginning. This is the scene between Mace fighting uh, Palpatine and, and Anakin intervening and what happens shortly after that. So very key scene in the movie, and let's listen to it now. Anakin, I told you it would come to this. I was right. The Jedi are taking over. The oppression of the Sith will never return. You have lost. No. 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 You are gone. Traitor! Ah! I have the power to save the one you love. You must choose. Don't listen to him, Anakin. Ah! Don't let him kill me. Ah! I can't hold it any longer. I, 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 I can't. I, I need you. Too weak. I am going to end this once and for all. You can't. He must stand trial. He has control of the Senate and the courts. He's too dangerous to be left alive. I'm too weak. Oh, don't kill me. It's not the Jedi way. He must live. Please don't. I need him. Please don't. No. clip a little shorter than I was going to play. I was going to play more of it where he dubs him Darth Vader, but that's uh, everyone pretty much knows that uh, happens right after that. Uh, again, they, they, they must have they sit there and doodle with different Darth names before uh, each of these things comes up to have one ready. It's not a biggie, but uh, the, the thing I wanted to say about that scene there, there has been uh, different uh, discussions, I think, on even on the Treks and Sci-Fi forums and other places that I've seen about uh, how Palpatine, you know, was he playing possum in that scene? Could he have taken Mace out at any moment he wanted to? Or was he playing possum to try to get Anakin to uh, to do the job for him? I, I don't know. I've kind of gone both ways on on that whole thing of whether Mace had the, con, you know, was in complete control there and could have taken, if he would have swung down and if Anakin hadn't intervened and stopped him, that Mace would in, would in fact have killed Palpatine. But I, I think uh, 
I think Palpatine was really very, very confident that Anakin would stop him. He had planted all the seeds and that if he had died, Anakin would lose the ability to learn about how to save Padme. And he knew Anakin wasn't going to let that happen. Now, why did he just kind of keep blasting Mace with force lightning and get his face all disfigured by that, you know, bounce back of that or whatever? I don't know. I mean, why did he just continue to do that? Just didn't really make a lot of sense to me as I watched it again. Um, when I collected up these clips, it uh, you know it's he could have backed off a little bit there. I, I don't know. Maybe he had to make it look convincing for Anakin. I'm not sure, but still an interesting scene. The uh, I'd read that that scene had changed quite a bit. That they'd filmed it a few different ways. One was Anakin was going to be present a lot more during the fight uh, between Mace and Palpatine. Um, instead of coming in kind of near the end of it all. I'm not sure. I think it works pretty good the way it is. Uh, I've never seen a cut of the other ways that it was filmed, so I can't really comment on how those would have been. But I did I did hear that uh, that scene had been tried a few different ways, and they went with the way they ended up with, obviously. So interesting stuff. I am skipping ahead now a little bit. Of course, the next thing that goes out is the whole order uh, to destroy and kill all the Jedi across the the Clone Wars that are continuing and going on, and they pretty much do it. Uh, there is a, a few cool scenes there. I, I think uh, it was probably one slight disappointment in the movie. I felt that the Jedi were, were pretty much offed a little too easily. These guys are supposed to be Jedi, uh, and I know that for time and for movie purposes, that wasn't what the story was about, and Lucas wanted to just say, okay, you know, the, the Jedi were wiped out by the Empire uh, and he had to do it in like, you know, two minutes or less or something like that. But it was a little disappointing to see some of these Jedi that uh, you had gotten to know a little bit, Kayamundi and all those, just sort of like, oh, okay, you know, a couple of the clones start shooting at them and boom, they're down. Uh, that I felt was a little bit of a, a shortcoming in the movie. I, I would have shown them fighting a little bit more. Probably the guy that gives them the most fight is uh, Jet Lucas. He is uh, George Lucas's son. If you know that scene with uh, Bail Organa, who comes to um, Coruscant in his little uh, flying car, he lands on this little landing platform, and then this young Jedi pops out and starts taking out some of these clone troopers and eventually gets gets knocked down and uh, taken out. Uh, that is uh, George Lucas's son, Jet, uh, making a, an appearance in his father's Star Wars films for the first time. And that was a pretty cool scene, I thought. Uh, and like I said, he gave him a, probably the biggest fight of any of the Jedi. So uh, kind of uh, kudos for that. <laughs> um, let's go on, though. Let's move along. The show is going to be, I, I can already tell you, this, this week's podcast is going to be rather long. We've got a lot of stuff still to put in here. And we're at about 50 or so minutes right now. But hang in there, folks. It's going to be good stuff. Uh, next clip. This is, again, a fairly long one. This is, we've moved to uh, the scene on Mustafar, the big old volcanic planet uh, where Obi-Wan and Anakin have their final duel. But the scene that I wanted to play, most of this that I wanted to play here, is between Anakin and Padme and how um, Padme realizes how far Anakin has really changed and fallen. So listen to this. Obi-Wan told me terrible things. What things? He said you've turned to the dark side. That you killed younglings. Obi-Wan is trying to turn you against me. He cares about us. Us? He knows. He wants to help you. Anakin, all I want is your love. 
Love won't save you, Padme. Only my new powers can do that. At what cost? You're a good person. Don't do this. I won't lose you the way I lost my mother. I am becoming more powerful than any Jedi has ever dreamed of. And I'm doing it for you. To protect you. Come away with me. Help me raise our child. Leave everything else behind while we still can. Don't you see? We don't have to run away anymore. I have brought peace to the Republic. I am more powerful than the Chancellor. I, I can overthrow him. And together, you and I can rule the galaxy. Make things the way we want them to be. believe what I'm hearing. Obi-Wan was right. You've changed. I don't want to hear any more about Obi-Wan. The Jedi turned against me. Don't you turn against me. I don't know you anymore. Anakin, you're breaking my heart. You're going down a path I can't follow. Because of Obi-Wan. Because of what you've done. What you plan to do. Stop. Stop now. Come back. I love you. Liar! No! You're with him! You brought him here to kill me! No! Let her go, Anakin! against me you have done that yourself you will not take her from me your anger and your lust for power have already done that you have allowed this dark lord to twist your mind until now until now you have become the very thing you swore to destroy don't lecture me, Obi-Wan. I see through the lies of the Jedi. I do not fear the dark side as you do. I have brought peace, freedom, justice, and security to my new empire. Your new empire? Don't make me kill you. Anakin, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. I will do what I must. You will try. Good, uh, good scene. Powerful stuff going on there. Padme you know, is trying to save him, trying to pull him back, and, and just can't do it. And, and Obi-Wan, you know, now has to fight his, his friend, his uh, brother, basically, in a, uh, an, an amazing lightsaber duel. I mean, this thing is, uh, is great that they uh, put it all together, The you know, all the lava stuff going on around him, which some of it was actually based off a, uh, 
shots in the movie were based off a real volcano that was actually going off in Italy at the time when they were filming. Uh, they had some shots in there of uh, a real volcanic eruption inter inter based or you know <laughs> edited into the footage here so great stuff uh you know uh ewan mcgregor and uh what's his name anakin the guy who plays him hayden christensen yeah that guy uh they trained for months uh for this duel and it really shows these guys are great and really know their stuff i don't think they used a double in, in any of these scenes maybe they did a little bit here or there but it is really good stuff and uh you know the the movie um really pays off here with the duel between Obi-Wan and Anakin, which is something that we've heard about, you know, since the first Star Wars film. And finally you get to see it, you know, like almost like 30 years later, it uh, finally happens. And you get to see these two fight it out on this planet and, and Obi-Wan eventually uh, taking uh, taking Anakin out. And, uh, and I think this is really well done, really tricky to do this and to have everything happen the way it needs to. He can't kill Anakin, but he needs to uh, injure him quite a bit to think he's going to just die anyway. So that's why he basically leaves him. The The clip here I want to play is towards the end of this battle. This, of course, is the final uh, scene between Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan for uh, their battle. And uh, it's, uh, it's really tragic what happens. So listen to this. It's over, Anakin! I have the high ground! You underestimate my power. Don't try it. You are the chosen one. It was said that you would destroy this and not join them. Bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty wicked what they did in this. This, is, of course, is the first and the only uh, Star Wars film uh, that was rated PG-13, and uh, there is a lot of violence in this. You know, there's a big body count, a lot of people getting killed, and clones and everything like that. And uh, this uh, scene here with Anakin and, you know, Obi-Wan with his lightsabering his, his legs and an arm off and, and burning at the edge of the lava there is uh, pretty gruesome stuff. But uh, it really... the 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 comment I wanted to make about this, though, is that, I, you know, I'm sure Obi-Wan thought he was going to die, but I guess the the idea here would be that Anakin, through the Force, was just able to basically keep himself alive until, of course, Palpatine shows up to sort of pick up the pieces and, and uh, turn him into Darth Vader, into the black suit, and you finally get to see him do that uh, and become uh, Vader here, and you get to see some interesting things. They're sort of rebuilding him, and 
you get to see a scene where he's looking through the visor of Vader's helmet for the first time. You see that perspective a little bit. Some cool stuff there. Of course, there's the whole scene where he's off. He pulls himself off the table and yells no when he hears hears about Padme dying. But uh, one thing I wanted to mention though here is that I never really quite also understood why. At the point, uh, you know, if Anakin really cared about Padme so much, when he when he hears that that Padme is dead, you know, it's kind of like why doesn't he just sort of run off and like, you know, jump back in the lava or something like that. I'm not really sure why he continues on. They don't really give you that motivation or understanding too much. I know there have been some books written uh, post-Revenge of the Sith and and get you into the mind a little bit more. Maybe he feels like he has to make up for what he has done and, and keep, you know, order in the galaxy. I, it's in- interesting, though. I, I just, I've had a little trouble with that uh, for the that part of the movie, I guess. But not a, not a big deal, really. Of course, I had to skip over some things in this review. Uh, the Grievous stuff, General Grievous, of course, with the cough and George Lucas's cough when they were producing the movie. I guess they recorded some of that and used it for Grievous in the movie. Uh, I had to skip over some of that. I skipped over the, the fight between Palpatine and Yoda. Of course, everyone knows that. But I wanted to really focus on Anakin. I have a couple clips still left. Uh, really one and then a little bit of music to, to end off this. Let's play the next one. This is uh, at the end with... Uh, uh, Bail Organa and Obi-Wan and Yoda talking about what to do about the twins. Oh, I, w- I wanted to mention something about that. How in this age of starships that can fly, you know, hyperspace and the kind of technology they seem to have here, how do they not realize that, that, that Padme has twins until the very, very end when they're being delivered? Of course, we all know that Anakin always assumed he only had one offspring. Actually, he he assumed they both died or that the one offspring, excuse me, died. He never realized she was pregnant with twins, but he assumed that, that the baby had never been born because, of course, Padme, there's that whole funeral scene that they have back on Naboo, and they make her look like she's still pregnant in that scene. Very important point so that they don't, they'll realize that there was never a kid born because, of course, Palpatine would realize that if there were any offspring still alive from Anakin around, that they would be a threat to him, which is mentioned, you know, in the other movies. They had to make it look like she died before she could give birth. So, uh, but again, how did they not know she was having twins? You know, even with the Force, you'd think he would have figured it out. But uh, something he had to uh, do, I think, just to make the other movies make sense when, at the end of Return of the Jedi, Vader, for the first time, or Anakin, realizes that there were two Skywalker babies, Luke and Leia, out there. So let's listen to this clip uh, with uh, them deciding what to do with the twins. Hidden, safe, the children must be kept. We must take them somewhere where the Sith will not sense their presence. Mm. Split up, they should be. My wife and I will take the girl. We've always talked of adopting a baby girl. She will be loved with us. And what of the boy? To Tatooine. Do his family send him? I will take the child and watch over him. Until the time is right, disappear, we will. Master Kenobi... Wait a moment. In your solitude on Tatooine, training I have for you. Training? An old friend has learned the path to immortality. 
one who has returned from the netherworld of the Force, your old master. Qui-Gon? How to commune with him, I will teach you. Captain Antilles. Yes, Your Highness. I'm placing these droids in your care. Treat them well, clean them up, have the protocol droids mind wiped. What? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, a little, uh, little comment there. Uh, Anthony Daniel, C-3PO, actually has the first and last words uh, in the Star Wars saga. He has the first words in the first Star Wars film, and he has the last spoken words in this movie. So a little bit of trivia there for you. Um, but uh, let me play this uh, little bit of end music here, and then I'll just sort of wrap up my thoughts on Revenge of the Sith. Well, there we have the uh, the look at the last of the Star Wars prequels, the last of the Star Wars films, at least so far. Revenge of the Sith, Episode 3. I really liked how they ended this film as well, just like uh, Wraith had said, you know, where Leia's uh, on, she's on Alderaan with Bale and his wife, and then Obi-Wan brings baby Luke to see stay with the Lars. Good, good movie, uh, a real fitting end to the Star Wars saga. Uh, hats off to George Lucas, uh, really pulled it together here on this episode three film I, I i just uh really love watching this uh movie it, it really packs everything in there it's uh, a tight well done film i uh, i think his direction has improved quite a bit like i was saying for uh this movie versus the first two of the prequels uh, but good stuff uh, a few little things here and there i might have done different if it was me but overall i, I really enjoy it love this movie quite a bit so with that, let's wrap that up, uh, at least my comments. I've got a couple of comments to play from other people. Uh, first one up here, we'll play uh, Kenny uh, from California's comments about Episode 3. Hey, Rico, it's Kenny from California. I thought I would send you a few of my thoughts about Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. I really enjoyed this installment of the Star Wars story. Episode 3 was probably my favorite of the new trilogy, and um, that's saying a lot. I mean, I really enjoyed... Episode 1 and 2. I know I'm one of the rare people who actually enjoyed 1. Um, so 3 had a lot to live up to. This was the bulk of the story. This was how Anakin Skywalker turned into Darth Vader. Um, you know, and, and for the most part it was believable. You know, I thought the story was a bit rushed. They probably could have put a portion of it in Episode 2. Um, but uh, I think they did a good job. I mean... The, the fighting scenes were unbelievable. You know, the final battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan is just mind-blowing. Um, it's exactly how I pictured it. You know, um, we knew what was going to happen, but it was still fun to see. Uh, same thing with, with all the Jedis being taken out. I mean, some of that stuff was just heart-wrenching because, you know, you get to know these, these characters and you know they're going to die because that's part of the Star Wars lore. Um, but to actually see them die, you know, it really got the blood pumping and um, some exciting stuff. Um, and then, you know, you got the battle scene with Yoda and Palpatine. And um, I, th I thought they did a really good job at, at, at finishing up the, the first trilogy, you know. Uh, it tied in perfectly with what was to come with Star Wars Episode Four. Um, the ending was great, you know, Luke being handed off and Leia being handed off and... and um, 
overall, I thought it did. They did a really good job at ending the, this trilogy uh, with Star Wars: Revenge of the Sith. Um, you know, I can I can watch it over and over as I do with many of my Star Wars. It still doesn't hold a candle to the original trilogy, but uh, it definitely was worthy of the name Star Wars. Thanks, Rico. Thanks, Kenny. Always great to hear your comments about uh, whatever we happen to be talking about for the week. I really appreciate that. Uh, we've got one more uh, set of commentary. This is from the Moyers and their take on Revenge of the Sith, along with uh, a comment about a movie that they saw recently, I think. So listen to them. All right. That's nice little pre-music there from Nathan on his iPod. Uh, I'm Rick. And I'm Nathan. And this is the Father Father and Son Son Review. Review. And today we're going to talk about a couple of different things because uh, we really liked uh, Revenge of the Sith, the Star Wars movie that you're reviewing. Most of the actors. Most of them. What what did you not like, Nathan? Hayden Christensen. You don't like him? No. Why? You turned bad me against me. (laughs) You think he's a No. No. All right. Well, anyway. It's working. It's working. What's one of your favorite, um, what's one of your favorite scenes from Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith? I think the fight scene between General Grievous and Obi-Wan Kenobi was was the best part. That is very cool. My favorite scene, however. Actually, wait, wait. I lied. Okay. My favorite scene was when Anakin got his legs and arms chopped off. You like because, that? Because Hayden Christensen pretty much died. That was awesome. <laughs> well, my favorite was when when the, the camera pans up. It's like that total corny moment in the movie when it, when it comes up. Lord Vader, rise. And he comes up and he sees, yeah, he sees his suit and everything. And then all of a sudden... He go, and bad then, me. <laughs> Where's bad me? <laughs> oh, no! Oh, it was perfect. No. Okay, so what? how many stars do you give... Revenge of the Sith. Three out of five. I give it four out of five. Okay, so what we really wanted to talk about today, though, was the movie called I Am Legend with Will Smith. We both saw it. And uh, what did you like about the movie, Nathan? Well, it was very intense. It was very intense. It sounded like Bob and Nebula are there for a minute. But it was really intense. I thought it was cool, though. I mean, I, I was going expecting kind of a zombie movie, but it really wasn't. Had a, it was like a zombie that. movie with a purpose. Yeah, that's that was good. I thought Will Smith came up a notch in his acting ability. He was excellent. He was pretty good in I Am or I Robot too. Yeah, he got better in this one. I think so. So, what was your the most sad scene out of the whole one? Well, without spoiling it, um, when when the dog was hurt. Oh, that was difficult. And then, yeah, that was... The music's a little yeah. loud. Sorry. It's okay. So anyway, um, I liked the movie quite a bit. I thought it was really well done, well acted by Will. And uh, all the other stuff that went on in the movie was surprising. I thought the CGI was excellent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the zombies were the, or the, the mutate mutants or whatever were really well done, and I was yeah. impressed. They, they had really good CGI. Yeah, big time. So, anyway, I don't want to say a lot to... I don't want to give it away to everybody, the plot, but it was really, really well done. What do you think? How many stars did you give I would it? give it five stars. I liked it that much. You liked it that much? I'll give it a four stars because it just... You know, there's... I reserve the five stars for the ultimate best movie. So, there you go. I Am Legend. 
I'm Rick. And this is Nathan. And this has been the Father, Father and Son, Son Review. Review. Thanks, Rico. See you guys. Anyone who's out there, please, please. Okay, guys, thanks a lot for your take on Revenge of the Sith and both uh, I Am Legend uh, Two, uh, two really good movies, of course, uh, as we've been talking about here for a while. Oh, now uh, I, I didn't forget it. It's been a while, but I'm going to play the second part to a Vartok segment, his music segment on Dennis McCarthy. So here you go with uh, the second part to that, and I'll be back after that and do a very quick collectible review and wrap up this long podcast. It's been a long road Getting from there to Hi everyone, this is Vartok again with the answer to the question posed earlier. The question I asked earlier was, what makes Dennis McCarthy special in connection with Star Trek music? And the answer is quite simple. He has the honor of composing more Star Trek music hours than any other composer. Besides being credited for Star Trek The Experience, Borg Invasion 4D in Las Vegas, he has done 63 episodes of Voyager, 77 episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, he did Star Trek Generation, the movie, and 88 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. All told, he has composed music for 255, or 36% of the 726 Star Trek TV episodes when you include the animated series. Dennison's last Star Trek episode took place for episode 98 of the series Enterprise. The session at Paramount's legendary stage M marked the end of an era for Star Trek and for McCarthy, who more than any other single composer has musically chronicled the exploits of Picard and Riker, Sisko and Kira, Janeway and Chakotay, Archer and T'Pol. I hate to see it end, said McCarthy moments before the 2 p.m. downbeat. It's been fantastic. I just wish it could go on forever. In a sense, Star Trek, I consider all the shows to be just one arc with different faces. Define me musically. I've been listening to all the stuff I've done, and I can honestly say that this is the show, episode 98, that came the closest to what I wanted to do. The Star Trek series were among the few weekly shows left in American television to consistently use an orchestra. And... Dennis McCarthy's deft handling of the music was a significant but underrated factor in providing pace, excitement, and emotional content on all four series. Now listen to Dennis on this clip recorded after that session. Okay. Isn't that great? You know, 18 years ago, my back worked better. <laughs> 18 years ago, everything worked better. <laughs> For all of us. Yo, Stephanie. Oh, well, thank you, honey. That's great. Oh. Patty, you want a piece of cake? Not right now. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Well, we're going to cut it, and then everybody can kind of come and help If you visit Dennis's website at DennisMcCarthy.com, all one word, and buy his CDs, he will personally autograph them as part of the deal. You can get the CD to Sliders, Star Trek Borg, which is new, V, The Final Battle, among others. And by the way, McCarthy also produced the CD album Old Yellow Eyes is Back by fellow Star Trek alumni Brent Spiner. 
which is available starting at $50 used and over $200 new in brand new condition off Amazon.com. I know because I recently was looking for a copy. Anyone got a good lead? Post it under music on the forum. Dennis is now scoring the film A Modern Twain Story, The Prince and the Pauper. Well, that's it for this music and sci-fi segment. And now back to you, Rico. Thanks, Vartok, for those uh, interesting segments. Uh, Des McCarthy, I, yeah, I didn't know he would autograph CDs. I'm going to go check out his website uh, right after I'm done today and maybe pick up a couple of those. That would be very cool to have. Okay, along this Star Wars uh, theme for this show primarily, I want to cover a, very quickly a new collectible that I got, Master Replicas, which, of course, has uh, ended their partnership with Lucas on the Star Wars licensing, at least for producing props and replicas from Star Wars. In 2007, they're ending that, and they still have a few items to be shipped, but they're uh, they're not going to be producing anything more new in 2008. And I just got uh, uh, one of their last offerings. I have a uh, an original trilogy Stormtrooper helmet. Uh, is a one-to-one scale helmet. Just came about a... I guess I got about a week ago or so. Uh, I'm going to have some pictures up, of course, in the collection gallery uh, of this very cool item. Now, I've uh, got a couple of clone trooper helmets, and this is a very much along the lines of the way they made those. It's got a padded interior. Uh, it's got two different style lenses for the eyes, a, a very dark green tinted uh, lens and a black one. There's been, I guess, a lot of uh, talk over the years about which ones that they used in the Stormtrooper helmets. Uh, I think they probably ended up using both. Uh, now, I am not an expert on these helmets. There are people on the Replica Prop Forum that I visit that are uh, that have got uh, helmets of their own, that these things have been dissected over the years countless times. And I know this one that Master Replicas produced there are some people that think it's got a few few things they should have done differently, some flaws uh, versus what was seen on screen and so forth and some of the original ones surviving. Uh, I'm not going to really get into all that. I'm just going to view it as for sort of a collectible and does it look uh, alike pretty much the Stormtrooper helmet you saw in the movies. And, of course, the answer is a resounding yes. I mean, this is a very high-quality piece. It's beautifully finished. It comes on a stand. Uh I got an, a relatively low number. I think it's like 150 or 154 in that range. Uh, they were going to make 2,500 of these, but I guess that they ran into some trouble with producing that total number before uh, their time was running out. So there probably won't be that many released, even though my plaque says there are 2,500 in the series. So it makes it even a little bit more special that way. Plus, the early ones released, and I was one of these that ordered it early, you get a special little Stormtrooper print along with it. It's about 8 by 10 approximately, and I'll have some pictures of that up also in the collection gallery. But this is a very cool collectible. I never have uh, owned a 1-to-1 scale Stormtrooper helmet in my collection before, and I figured this would be a good one to get. There have been some, you know, tons of them produced over the years from different people. Uh, and fans over the years, the 501st, the big uh, Stormtrooper uh, unit that goes and does parades and all those things, of course, have their own armor and helmets. And But this one for Master Replicas, I think, is very nice and very nicely done. So I'm really happy to have it in my collection. 
Okay, folks, I really got to wrap up this week's show. Sorry it got a little long, but we had a lot to cover and a lot of listener segments to play. Uh, I did have plans. Uh, I'm going to start this on next week's show uh, that I am going to from the treksinsci-fi.com forums. I, we are doing an RPG game where people write their own story for our uh, adventures aboard our own little ship, the USS Tiberius. And each week for a while, I am going to select a uh, uh, somebody who's posted something there, and I'm going to read it uh, during the sh- podcast, during the show. Again, I was going to try to do that this week, but the show was running really long, and I wanted to save that. So I'm going to do that starting on next week's podcast. So all those who are writing, and even if you haven't written uh, anything in the RPG in a while, get back to it, and you may hear your, uh, your segment on the show. Okay, folks, again, that's about it. I'm just going to use uh, this last few minutes to give you the contact information. You can always email me at treksinsci-fi, uh, excuse me, treksf at gmail.com. Treksinsci-fi.com is the main website to visit for all information on the podcast and the forums, collection gallery, and all kinds of fun stuff. So check that out. Always looking for reviews up on Podcast Alley and iTunes for the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please visit those sites, uh, especially starting in the new year in 2008. I'd really appreciate it. And tell your friends if uh, you've got sci-fi and Trek and Star Wars fans to listen to the podcast as well. I will be back next week with another show for you. Until then, take care and Happy New Year. This has been a Rick Dusty podcast production.